shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it. Here we go with another edition of Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. And uh, we got a lot of things to talk about today, so we might as well just jump right to it. But before we do that, uh, here's the guy, the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how you doing? I am great, man. I am... Uh... I am loving my new uh, my new shift assignment, and uh, um, life is good. You know, one of the things I was thinking before we started the show is, you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing throughout my, I guess, life is I've always nicknamed people, and i got to say, the Ted Nugent of EMS is probably one of the best nicknames I've ever come up with. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I like Uncle Ted. He's a smart guy. Uh I like to I like to think that I'm I'm a little bit little less incendiary than Ted can be sometimes, but uh, just just um, just a skosh, but just a skosh. Yeah, just a skosh. Let's go ahead and, and of course, uh, you know we're, we're a little bit uh, we're a little bit off our schedule today. We are recording today on the 24th of July, and this is the day after the theater shooting in Lafayette, Louisiana, and of course, uh, Acadian was part of that response and that's your uh, company kelly mm-hmm. and uh you know it's funny because these things are just popping up more and more and and i was talking to a friend yesterday over dinner and uh, this is probably about uh, you know six uh, six o'clock six thirty and we were talking about ferguson and we were talking about baltimore and we were talking about the theater shooting uh in uh you know in colorado and uh, I made the comment, I said, you know, one of these days, someone's going to walk into a crowded restaurant, uh, someone's going to walk into a sporting event next, and, and, you know, us as EMS providers, we've got to be able to be prepared to handle these situations that are happening in our communities, and and it, where is the safe places anymore? There's no safe places. Schools aren't safe. You know, ch- uh, Charleston, South Carolina, churches aren't safe. Theaters aren't safe. Um you know, Kelly, you, you've said it before. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And, mm-hmm. and are we coming to a point where people are going to have to be armed, no matter where they go, uh, just to mitigate this threat? Well, I can only speak for me, and and the answer to that is yes. Um, I, I'm going to be armed wherever I go, uh, and and were it in a movie theater, I'd be att- uh, I was attending. I'd I'd have the means to defend myself. Uh, on my person um, and but that's just me you know and, and you know it's it's a tragedy there three people died uh, including the shooter I just uh, I, I really don't know what to uh, what what to make of it in the in the broader sense you know this sort of thing and I and I hate to say it like this but this sort of thing is the kind of price we pay for freedom we if you're going to truly be free to do what you will uh, as a as an American, then then bad people and and mentally unbalanced people are going to be able to do what they will as well. And we are going to have these sorts of things. And if we're ever it, it, to to create a society where this sort of thing is impossible, um, I don't I'm not sure that it can be done. But if it can be done, it's certainly going to be a society that I don't want to live in. 
it, it's going to be uh, a police state where we have uh, no means of defending our on our, ourselves. We are totally dependent on on uh, law enforcement and the government for our defense, uh, and th their presence will be so pervasive uh, that it won't be a country I recognize anymore. And and you know. Um, I hate to say that that uh, that this is the sort of thing you should expect. We should never expect this sort of thing, but um, you know. Yeah, but it's becoming the uh, norm rather than the yeah. Uh, well, it, it 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 proves the point that there is. You said it yourself. There is no safe place. There is the illusion of safety, but there is no safe place. Churches, schools. Uh, movie theaters that that ban the the carry of weapons. They are malls. not malls. They are not gun free zones. They are victim disarmament zones. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that a that a concealed carry permit holder uh, would stop such a shooting. But I will say that that every time this has happened, uh, and the shooter encounters armed resistance, the shooter takes himself out. You know, just about every time they have received, uh, they have encountered armed resistance. They have shot themselves. Um, uh, they're cowards, and they they want to go out and make a big splash. And the first person to stand up to them uh, and pose any threat to them, uh, they back off and they shoot themselves in the head. And you know, uh, I don't think that's going to really matter whether the the uh, person opposing them uh, is a citizen or a police officer. Yeah, but one of the things is is if if you're carrying uh, a weapon, you're able to mitigate, uh, you know, some of the deaths that may be going on around you, some of the injured folks that are going mm -hmm. on around you. And I mean, I'm one of those guys who uh, 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 have a concealed handgun uh, as well. And, and uh, man, it's just getting to be a scary time. But let's let's switch gears a little bit, Kelly. And, and I want to examine uh, mm -hmm. the EMS side of this and. You know, because one of the things I think is important is, you know, these things are happening more and more. And mm -hmm. dare we say that it's not the uh, if it comes to your community, but the when it comes to your community. Mm -hmm. So what do we take from this? I mean, when we think about how do we handle this response, you know, we talk about training that uh, we, we're going to go into the warm zones now. You know, uh, we, we learned from the uh, shooting up in Colorado that, mm -hmm. you know, the staging processes that we do was ineffective because, you know, we couldn't get the, the, the people who were injured out that needed, uh, you know, life care. Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't get those ambulance closest because the, we, we think about scene safety. You know, so, so we're changing the paradigm in this. I mean, what are the lessons that we take from this as EMS agencies now to really... <laughs> you know, change our mentality to say we've got to be up in the thick of it to make sure we save as many people as we can. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, an Acadian doesn't have tactical EMS uh, response teams. They, um, uh, you know, we, uh, we generally stage outside of scenes uh, and wait for law enforcement to arrive in the traditional fashion. You know, in the broader sense, uh, you know, every EMS system is going to have to be able to uh, be prepared for, for dealing with this sort of eventuality. And your standard ICS uh, um, system will work fairly well with the exception of an act active shooter. You're going to have to probably get in there quicker uh, into the warn zone. But all the other uh, logistics and, and the staging and, and the, the organizational aspects of ICS will serve you well in one of these situations. Um, 
as far as as far as the the actual response at the scene um i think the the idea of the uh um uh, of the dedicated uh tactical ems response uh you know uh being part of an entry stack that sort of thing i don't think you're going to be able to do that anymore um i don't think that's a viable um for the vast majority of uh of uh active shooter incidents i don't think you're going to have to uh you don't have time for a um for a specially trained emt going in with a swat team uh i think every emt is going to have to have a little bit of tactical training you know be be prepared to go into those warm zones it's probably going to be a you know it's a hole in our our training that we're probably going to have to address um uh profession wide I wonder, I mean, should we start thinking about that as part of initial training, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, we think about a paramedic course, and it's, you know, eight months, nine months, a year mm-hmm. long, two years long. But there's so many transformations that are going on when we think about now the community paramedicine curriculum, when we think about tactical medicine, when we think about, is this part of initial training, or should this be continuing education? I mean, when we think about what we're trying to accomplish with the roles that we do, it mm-hmm. seems like you think you're prepared when you come out, but you know we've talked about it before. We've talked about linear thinkers. If A happens, mm-hmm. if B ha- you know if A happens, do B. If B happens, do C. Uh, but then we need them to be critical thinkers. You know, and I think you and I have touched on this before. I, I think our I think our training processes that we go through. I, I'm coming to the point to say they're they're uh, insufficient. They are, and and I I don't. I don't think that that you you know roll uh, tactical training into your the initial uh, EMT training cur- uh, curricula or the educational guidelines as they're called these days. Um, I, you know we have such a premium on time already uh, to actually teach you how to be a decent EMT or a, a decent paramedic uh, without teaching you how to you know function as part of a law enforcement entry team. Um, but I think we can go a long way toward um, helping that along in, in continuing education by just stopping uh, or, or taking less of a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to scene safety. Uh, we need to we need to rather than just pay pay lip service, you know, at the beginning of every practical scenario, scene safe BSI. Uh, and, Kelly, and, let, let, and, me cu- let me cut you off, though. I mean, yeah. I, I certainly understand what you're saying, but let me give you this scenario. That well, the reason I bring it up for initial training is this: initial training is is real, right? I mean, we're right mm-hmm. there and we're doing it. Now, let me give you what happens: we go to school, we yeah. g- take our national registry, we get our state certifications, then we go to EMS agencies that pay us poorly. Mm-hmm. Then we go to EMS agencies that don't have strong clinical departments, strong mm-hmm. educational departments, and they'd rather cut the education than give us the education that we would need to do the jobs that we would need to respond to. Where it should be that, you know, if patient care is truly the, the focus of an EMS organization, mm-hmm. they should give us as much continuing education as we can get. It should be as, as uh, you know, outstanding as it could be as a delivery model to, to get that education. Mm-hmm. A- and we're just not going to get it. I mean, think about the, the select few who get the tactical training, who get the critical care yeah. training, who get the, you know, the, the high-angle rescue training. 
it, doesn't it have to be more of of uh, on the upfront side than it does need to be in the, in the backside where no one's going to support us to get it? Well, I, I I see your point the that you know we can't rely on on an ad hoc system to teach this, and and it would be better to roll it into the curricula. On the other hand, I, I really don't know. You know, uh, th- that's not my bailiwick, uh, so I-, I really can't speak intelligently about tactical EMS. I've been through a tactical EMS class years ago, and it was it was great, big, dirty fun rolling around and 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 doing you know going in as a rear security on an entry stack, and uh, but uh, that's not something I did a lot of. But my my point was is not so much that we rely on the training uh, or we shift the training to continue education, is that what the initial education should shift to is changing the mindset. Uh, as it is in, in, in our initial education, we teach uh, either by, by, um, by practice or by intent, uh, we teach that scene safety is something you check at the beginning of the call and then that you're done. You know, that's the way we, we do it all the time. We've seen safe BSI and then, then that's it for the rent, for the rest of the call. Um, and as Kip will preach to you and, and, uh, as we've pointed out, you know, you got to have your heads on a swivel. Scene safety is a, is a, uh, uh, an ongoing process throughout the entire patient encounter. And there is no such thing as a safe scene. The scenes that, that, uh, scenes like this, like this theater shooting, are not the ones that are dangerous to EMTs because what are we doing? We're going in. Uh, if we go in, even if it's in a warm zone, we have a law enforcement presence and the, and the good guys with weapons have come and swept the area that we're about to go into. Um, they may There may still be an active shooter, but we got lots of guys in blue uh, with weapons between us and the shooter. What's going to what kills EMTs is the innocuous uh, safe scene that suddenly turned bad when we weren't prepared for it. Um, and I think if we just if we we start to to teach in, in initial education that you you constantly have to reevaluate for threats uh, and there is no such thing as a safe scene um, and and the way we should approach this is risk mitigation risk versus reward um, is the the risk to ourselves and to our partners worth uh, the the potential good we can do um, because I'm sure you've made that calculation and, and that calculus has run through your head on scenes before as it has for me um, man we should we really stage or you know is it you know uh, can we go in and, and, and take care of the patient um, based on, on our instincts and our self-preservation skills um, I think we should uh, we should just rather than make it a cut and dried thing about scene safety, you don't go in until the scene is clear. Um, uh, you, we start to paint that as a little more of a gray area rather than black and white. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Well, you got a story for us. So let's go ahead and switch gears oh. and uh, bring us your news story. This one, this one's the uh, the man in South Haven, Mississippi, uh, the. Uh, hogtied uh, restraint death supposedly now this is uh, this is from July the 21st and this is EMS providers have been taking a beating on social media threads uh, about transporting a hogtied patient uh, and I'm sad to say I, I was one of the, the people beating on them um, 
this uh, story comes out of South Haven, Mississippi. A Tennessee man died after a witness said police in uh, northern Mississippi hogtied him on a stretcher. Uh, this guy was uh, Troy Good, a uh, 30-year-old uh, chemical engineer from Memphis, um, died uh, Saturday night couple hours after being detained by the South South Haven Police Department. Apparently, Mr. Good had been at a concert in Memphis um, the night before and uh, had uh, done a few hits of LSD, um, according to uh, speculation, and um, flipped out uh, in the car with his wife, and police were called, and in subduing him, uh, the police felt necessary to hog time. And there's a video and a couple of still... Uh, photos, uh, screen captures, I guess, uh, inserted in the video uh, there on the, the EMS-1 story on it. Uh, and it shows pretty clearly uh, the, the EMS crew from South Haven Fire Department loading the guy into their stretcher, uh, face down on the stretcher, and hogtied. Uh, but, uh, and a lot of people are, are, you know, you got a death uh, that occurred shortly thereafter. Uh, he was hogtied. Uh, ergo, according to the Facebook uh, lynch mob, the death was due to the hog, hog tie restraint. But or one of the nice things about having a pretty extensive social media network is I actually uh, have some inside info uh, from people who were at present at this scene. Uh, they were not part of the South Haven Fire Department, but they were witnesses to the scene. Um, and one other person who, was, who had actually observed this man's behavior at this uh, uh, concert um, and uh, it paints a pretty clear case of excited delirium. Um, and the, the video where the uh, South Haven Fire Department medics are loading this guy, this guy was, uh, according to my witnesses, uh, was hogtied and face down no more than a couple of minutes. And as soon as they got the EMS crew, got this man into the ambulance, they rolled him on his side, got him off his face, and when he arrived at uh, DeSoto Hospital, uh, he was on his back uh, and altered, but still talking and breathing effectively. Um, so I, I think it's unfair to, to blame the, uh, the EMS crew for this guy's death or, or even blame hog tie restraint. Looks like a pretty clear-cut case of, uh, of excited delirium and, and all the, uh, you know, the acidosis and, and, and uh, whatnot that goes along with that. You know, one of the things that excited delirium has been something that uh, we've learned more and more about over the past, uh, you know, 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, th- this is a real big thing, man. You know, when we think about, uh, you know, people can assume meth- uh, people can assume LSD, but it could have very easily been a methamphetamine. And uh, but, but just because people start acting weirdly doesn't mean that we have to tase them doesn't mean we have to mm-hmm. hog tie them but i think that this is where that challenge goes but just because we take the the measures that we take to to ensure safety doesn't mean that we're trying to kill people doesn't mean yeah. we're trying to you know to with malice that we're trying to hurt somebody and you know uh, but i think from an ems standpoint do we accept someone in our ambulances that's hog tied do we accept someone in our ambulances? I mean, would it have been just as mm-hmm. easy to have him handcuffed to the stretcher? Again, a practice that I'm not happy with. Um, you know, four-point restraints, is that something? I would have been more comfortable with four-point restraints on a stretcher than I would be with hog-tying mm-hmm. someone in an ambulance. So, uh, you know, from a, 
from a uh, a police standpoint, maybe you know this answer um, w- with your experience, but I mean, what's the purpose of hog tying somebody? I- is that uh, uh, something well, it, that it makes it makes it pretty much impossible for for someone to kick at you? Um, uh, having said that, I, I I have rarely encountered uh, in twenty three years in EMS uh, someone who had to be hog tied uh, and and who could not be managed in some other fashion. Uh, and I I very nearly had a uh, a positional asphyxia um, death, uh, you know, from from relatively little time. Uh, uh, the patient was was hogtied. Uh, we had cops uh, in my hometown who had hogtied a guy um, who went off on us on scene, and it, heck, he wasn't he wasn't face down more than a minute or so uh, in the the dog pile while they were trying to get him subdued. Um, before he stopped breathing. Now, we managed to get him back, uh, which is a, a fairly unusual occurrence, but, um, but it could have gone bad. You know, they, they got off of him and had him handcuffed and, and had his legs tied up, but they, as soon as they got off, they rolled off of him and sat him up. Uh, and as they sat him up, you know, I was like, uh, hey, guys, oh, wait, wait, he just stopped breathing. Uh, so... We snipped the uh, the um, flex cuffs off of him pretty quick, uh, and started bagging him, and and managed to resuscitate him. But I think the so secret it doesn't there, take the, long. The secret there, Kelly, is that you were, uh, as yeah. an experienced paramedic, were able to say, "Okay, wait a minute now, guys." And I yeah. think that's one of the components that's missing, is mm-hmm. that when that dog pile happens, we more or less back up and say. You know, we'll let these guys take care of it until it's time for us to get back in the mix. Exactly. And well, I think that that's the wrong way to think yeah. about that. Yeah, well, and true. You, we, need to be, we need to be better patient advocates. We need to be um, watching out for, for our patient's medical well-being while this is going on. And, and that's our role until the patient is, is uh, adequately restrained, um, is, to, is to make sure that the restraint is done uh, in a in a fashion that that's not medically harmful, um, I think that's probably the mistake that the uh, the makes uh, the medics made in the Eric Garner case is they weren't uh, they weren't very um, they they didn't move with any sense of urgency and and uh, they didn't seem to appreciate the fact that uh, uh, the danger that Eric Garner was in in New York. But uh, in this case. Um, uh, my sources, uh, two of them, one who, who uh, encountered the man at the, uh, encountered Mr. Good at the, um, or witnessed his behavior uh, prior to this uh, incident, um, and uh, an, a medically trained person who was eyewitness to the uh, the fight with the police and the restraint and the subsequent loading him in the ambulance. Uh, these people knew what excited delirium is. Um, and uh, they don't work with the uh, with the medics who took care of him, but they know them, um, and uh, they're they are reasonably certain that the medics know what excited delirium is. And, and uh, as they said, uh, the the fight with the cops took 10, 15 minutes. The the part where they actually had the patient hog tied uh, and and restrained prone was about two minutes. And as soon as they got the rear doors of that ambulance closed. Um, they, uh, the uh, EMS crew rolled the patient over on his side, and by the time they got to DeSoto Hospital, which is three or four minutes away, uh, they had him on his back. Um, so I think they were 
you know, their priority was let's get him out of the ambulance where we got where where we can we have restraints and and that sort of thing, and we have more equipment, and let's let's get him out of the public view, and then we'll flip him over on his side, and 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 that's what they did. Now whether they whether they sedated him, I do not know, uh, and, and we may we may never know, but. Um, I don't think the EMS crew, uh, according to uh, my sources, was uh, was at fault uh, and, and did anything particularly wrong here. Um, you know, but it, but it does uh, does point out one thing. You know, when you're dealing with an excited delirium patient and he's restrained, no matter what position he's restrained in, um, restraint is not the end goal. The end goal is to stop the fight. Right. And and if you have just physically restrained the patient, you have not stopped the fight. Right. Uh, you just shifted it from from fighting you to fighting the restraints or the straps or the, the flex cuffs or whatever. Um, so chemical restraint and, and adequate sedation is is paramount um, because these these guys are on a freight train uh, express train to death. Right. Um, and if we don't stop that that cascade, um, bad things are going to happen. And by the way, he was not tased either. Uh, South Haven. Uh, the police department there in South Haven does not use tasers because their uh, their pepper spray is alcohol based, so they do not use tasers there. So, uh, before anyone speculates that he was tased, uh, that did not happen either because there were no tasers present. And there you have it. I mean, one of the great things about Inside EMS is we've got uh, witnesses it, and we've got we, peers all over the world. We got inside. That's baby. right, man. We got the inside <laughs> scoop, man. How about that? Look at us yeah. go, but. Uh, I think that's going to put the wraps on another show, Kelly. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we only talked about two cases, but these are these are both of, of particular interest to EMS, and and I hope the uh, the victims in the the Lafayette shooting uh, pray for their speedy recovery. Really proud of my uh, colleagues at Acadian Ambulances. It seemed like they handled a difficult situation uh, uh, with uh, like conf- consummate professionals and. Um, that's it for Inside EMS this week, guys. So for myself and co-host Chris Sevalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you have comments, concerns, or questions, drop us a line at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and Chris, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>